with, let's begin tonight in Hebrews 2. I was, I was tempted to jump on into the book of Genesis, but let's, let's do this, and I'll be quick on this. But Hebrews chapter 2, amen, let's turn there. Thank you for being here uh, this evening. I, I know this time of year, uh, a lot you know, starts happening, things get busy, and, and um, praise God, we're going we're gonna to be here. I think the only um, service we're canceling for, for Christmas is going to be the Wednesday after Christmas, the 26th. Um, other than that, we'll, we'll be here. Our church-wide Christmas uh, fellowship will be on the 23rd. I know it's a little close to Christmas, but amen, I, I like it that way, so I believe we'll have a good turnout for that, so it's going to be a good time. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, um, we'll look at two verses here, 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him, and the him here is Jesus, it was fitting for Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. It means are one and the same. For which reason he is not ashamed call them brethren. Now one of the things we talked about this morning is the importance of having the same perspective as our Heavenly Father when it comes to our own lives, our own existence. And it's not how you see it or how the world sees it or how the church you grew up in sees it, but it's how God sees it. That's, that's what we need more than anything else. We need His perspective, His uh, view, if you will, on, um, on our existence, on life. And, you know, of course, what we see here is his perspective, and, and that is Jesus, the captain of our salvation. He's not just, you know, rescued us from hell. He's not just made a place for us in heaven when we die, but he's ultimately wanted to lead us to glory, the highest and best life that is possible for you to live. The Bible says we've all sinned and fell short of that glory, but Jesus rescued us from our sin and has now led us back to the life and gave us the opportunity um, to live it. Amen. So we see that he's not ashamed to call us brethren. He's, he's not ashamed to call us his. Um, he identifies us as belonging to him and recognizes us as being one with him. Now, turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, and I'll do just a little bit more review after we look at this verse, but Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 1, it says this, when... Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Um, God then goes into many verses proclaiming, declaring what he's going to do for Abram, how he's going to bless him how he and Sarah are going to have uh, a child and how they will uh, be made a blessing and how God will multiply them um, and, and that what will become of them is beyond their wildest imaginations. More numerable than the stars in the sky, more numerable than the grains of sand on the seashore. Now, let me comment briefly on that because... We think, well, God was just exaggerating there. Um, let's talk about this uh, a million and a half years from now and see if God was exaggerating, okay? Um, I heard Jesse Duplan is talking about a God of abundance. And he, he explained that, that a female 
Do you, do you have any idea how many eggs are in a female body? 200 million. 200 million. Okay. Amen. God is a God of abundance. Are you following what I'm saying here? Amen. Some of you look at me like I'm crazy now. If I misquoted him on that, I don't think I did. All right. And so what God was speaking to Abraham in this chapter goes well beyond life on this planet as we understand it right now. Amen. Because his purposes are eternal. He's an eternal God. And um, I'm digging this hole deeper, but let, you follow me. Are you still with I'm not trying to shock you, but I'm just trying to tell you, amen, that God was not exaggerating when he made those declarations uh, to Abraham and what he was going to do. But now let's go back to what we're here for this, the purpose of being at this verse tonight or today. We, we actually began on this this morning. When he said, I am almighty God, He's literally identifying himself in the original language of the Bible as El Shaddai. And what El Shaddai means is the all-sufficient one. He's saying to Abraham, I am the all-sufficient one, and this is what I'm going to do for you. Now, I've taught and preached from these verses and have mentioned El Shaddai for many, many years now in sermons. But every single time, it's been within the context of God is the all-sufficient one and He therefore has anything that you need. He is able to provide for you in your life since He has all-sufficiency. He's able to help you in your insufficiency. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but as is the case so many times, we, we have a tendency to only look at it from the perspective of what does this mean to me, what does this have to do with me, without ever realizing what God is actually saying here about Himself. God is literally saying, I am the all-sufficient one, I have no need. I am the all-sufficient one, I have no lack. I am the all-sufficient one, and there's nothing missing, there's, there's nothing broken, there's, there's, there's no... Uh, there's no deficiency. There's no deficit. Um, as a matter of fact, we see just the opposite, is that not only does God have all that He needs, He has more than what He needs and is a God of overflowing abundance. So when He says to Abram, you have need, I have no need, I will meet your need, He's... he's obviously extending his favor and his kindness to Abraham, but he's also revealing something very important to us about himself. And that is, if this seems like a stretch to fit, let me give you a few more verses. That is, I believe, something that goes all the way to our existence. And what we said this morning, if I could just briefly review it again, is that I think so many times we evaluate our worth and even strive to understand why we exist on planet Earth from the perspective of need, from the perspective of usefulness. In other words, the idea goes something like this. We, we evaluate people, even compensate people in, in our economy, um, in our society, um, who you know, are able to contribute more than other people, who have skills that other people don't have, who, who um, you know, obviously someone who can, um, uh, you know, fix 
uh, a lawnmower engine. That's a, that's a valuable skill. Uh, I can tinker with them, but I'm not really good at that. But someone who can, who can take a laser knife and surgically remove a cancerous tumor from someone's brain, obviously that's a different skill set. It's, it's, a, it's a different capability. And because of the usefulness, um, we, we value that more. And, and so what winds up happening a lot of times is, you know, we, we look at and try to understand God's love for us based upon our perceived usefulness to Him, based upon our, our ability to meet some need that He has. See, some of the worst things that could ever be said to a human being are things like, man, she's worthless, or he's good for nothing, right? But see, even in the expression in using those kinds of words, what are we saying? That, that they're, 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 they're lazy, they're not accomplishing any purpose, they're just taking up space, what have you. And so again, our whole criteria of evaluating a person's worth, if we're not careful, will be based upon whatever need they can um, uh, feel uh, in our world. If you, can, if you can feel the need that someone has for brain surgery, then obviously you're going to be highly compensated for that, okay? Um, but when we come into God's kingdom, we, we can't, we got we to gotta check all that at the door because you weren't created by God because He had a need. You were created by God because He had a desire. And there is a difference between need and desire. Christmas is just right around the corner. And, and we all know what it is to get what you need for Christmas or to give someone what they need for Christmas versus getting what you desire for Christmas, right? Two categories. I got the right bunch tonight? Two categories, right? Certainly we all have needs. We all need socks and underwear. Amen. But if we're going to be honest, that's really not what we want for Christmas. Amen? Give me some cash, and if I want to spend that cash on socks and underwear, I'll be the, I'll be the decider there. I'll, be the, I'll determine. So, so you have things that fall into the category of need that meet a need, usefulness, purpose. But then you have this whole other category, and that's the category of desire, of, of want, of, of something that gets you really excited, you know, gets your, gets your heart beating fast, right? In other words, when it comes to transportation... Amen. And, and, and I've, I've, I've driven some bare minimum transportation in my life, right? Um, and really, as long as it cranks and gets us there. Um, you don't have to have heated seats, but it sure is nice, especially this time of year. You don't have to have air conditioning, right? But it sure is nice, you know, to have windows that roll up and down or air conditioning that turns on, these kinds of things. So, so again, if you, if you think about it, even creating the image and likeness of God, where do we get this whole you know, ability to distinguish between a need and a desire? It's because God, God right? We, 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 we get this idea of, of desiring things that we don't even necessarily need from Him because He is a God of desire. Amen. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try one more way of explaining it, then we're going to push on, Okay. You have this idea of something that is utilitarian. Do you understand utility? Or is that, again, something that is, is useful? It's a whole category of things that you can do something with and, and, and is valuable because it serves some purpose. 
we've got to shift out of this utilitarian mindset when it comes to our relationship with God. Because you weren't created for utility. You were created for affection. God did not create you for service. He created you for fellowship. He didn't create you to fulfill some need that He couldn't fulfill Himself without you. But He created you because He wanted you, because He desires you. Amen. And until we begin to shift our thinking over out of, out of God needed us to God wanted us, we'll never be able to understand why He paid such a high price for us. Amen. See, we, we, get, we get real confused when we really understand how much was actually spent, what it cost our Heavenly Father to redeem us. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He keeps reminding me of this. He's just kind of on the inside. He keeps nudging me in this direction. So just real quick like, God is a just God. And He's not going to pay any more or any less for something than what that thing is worth to Him. Amen. So what does it say about your worth to Him when the price for you was His only begotten Son and He paid that willingly? He, he had you know, gazillions of dollars. He paves roads with gold in heaven. But He didn't try to pay our sin debt with gold or with planets. But in order to give a fair price for you, He paid what you were worth to Him. And you were worth a son to Him. And He paid a son for you. Amen. Now again, if you try to understand that based upon what you can do for Him, what purpose you can serve, what, what, what um, you know, money you can earn and give, you're still in a utilitarian mindset. You're trying to think utility instead of affection. Affection. That doesn't mean that we don't have a purpose, that we don't have an assignment, that, that, that we are not in own Father's business. But there's, an, there's a huge difference between um, serving God to get Him to love you versus serving Him because you know He does. Right? And the difference is when you know, we're trying to earn our way. That's, that was the whole prodigal son's approach when he came home to his father. He said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. His plan was to try to work his way, earn his way back into right standing with his father. To try to earn that. Listen, that father wasn't interested in the wealth. He wasn't interested in the inheritance. He just wanted his son. He just loved his son. It wasn't about what purpose that son could feel. It was about the fellowship that that father longed to have. Not just with the younger brother, but with the older brother as well who was also caught up in this mindset of trying to earn his keep. And, and, try, and listen, I understand if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. I understand all of that stuff. But again, we're, those are practical things that we need to understand about you know, life and functioning here on planet Earth. The bigger picture, 
the bigger picture, and, and, and that is you know, what was in the heart of God when He created you and created me and created us at the level in the manner in which He created us. It was all about fellowship. It was all about sharing Himself with us. It wasn't about what could He get from you. It was what could He give to you. Because He's all-sufficient, this means that He is complete without us. We're incomplete without Him. I'm not trying to offend you by, by saying these things, but again, there is a mindset and an attitude that I believe needs repentance here. Repentance doesn't mean stop sinning. It's a compound word that means a new condition of mind, a new way of thinking. And for too long, we've wanted a relationship with God on our terms. And we're going to get to that in the coming days. We're going to, we've talked about that in the past. We're going to come back to that subject. Jesus had much to say about it. But that, that's not just a... a you know, some people only want a relationship with God on their terms because they don't understand His terms. It's not just a selfishness. It's not just... Um, you know, being a spoiled brat and, and wanting your way. It's just that we don't understand God's way. We don't understand the bigger picture. We don't understand what He's really looking for when it comes to what His expectations and desires are for us. And so again, He didn't create you because He was lacking something that only you could compensate for or make up for in His existence. He's all-sufficient. This all-sufficient God created you and me because He wanted to share Himself with us. So again, He didn't create you to get from you, but He created you to give to you. Let's look at a few verses in the time that we have remaining tonight. First of all, um, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 19. It says to you and me, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants you to know His love, and He wants you to be filled with what He is full of tonight, to be filled with all the fullness of God. The all-sufficient God is wanting to fill you with His sufficiency. John chapter 1 and verse 16. This is speaking of Jesus and it says, And of His fullness we have all received and grace for grace. Of His fullness we have all received and grace for grace. I want to um, read this passage to you um, from the Amplified. From the Amplified it says, For out of His fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. That grace upon grace means Grace for the sake of grace. Grace is speaking of favor 
that you do not deserve, that you cannot earn, that you, you, you cannot pay for. And when he says grace upon grace, one, another way of looking at this is, is grace for no other reason but grace. Right? In other words, grace for the sake of grace. Unmerited favor because of unmerited favor. Amen. Just layered upon, stacked upon, heaped upon. You see, this was God before Adam was ever created. God is a God of grace upon grace. Amen. Overflowing with things like love and joy and glory and goodness and wealth. Overflowing with these things. We said this early on in our study, but it's a simple way of saying it, but, but it's, it's almost like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all looked at one another and said, this is too good to keep to ourselves. Let's create someone like us to share this goodness and this glory and this love and this peace and this joy and this fulfillment and this fullness with. And so He created you and me. Again, not because He was lacking and deficient, wasn't going to make it if, if He didn't have somebody to help Him. God's getting old in, you know, in His old age and, and, and needed some kids to come care for Him. No, no, no. See, none of that. That's, not, that's a wrong way of looking at this. He created you because there's so much goodness that He wanted someone else to fill up with that goodness. And so He created us. And of His fullness, we've all received. Somebody say amen to that. We've all received of His fullness and grace for grace. How about this one? Speaking of Jesus, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. That word complete means to feel, to fulfill, to feel to the full, to supply abundantly, to impart richly. To impart richly. Now, let's get something straight, because sometimes we say things like, you know, trying to compliment another person. We say, man, that person completes me. And sometimes that's said among husbands and wives. Well, that's really not true. We are only complete in Christ. Amen. He completes us. It's only through our union with Him. That's why a solid marriage is when the husband and the wife are not looking for one another to fulfill their needs, but they're both looking to the, to the source, right? And are, and are receiving from God what, what they need, both individually and within the marriage. So again, God created you not to get love and joy from you, but to give love and joy to you. Any idea that God was lacking love and joy and created us to meet His need for these is broken, as is any idea that He needed us to meet some need or lack for glory on His part. He created you to share His overflowing and unspeakable joy with you. He created you to give you love, not just get love from you. He created you to experience His glory and not to meet some deficiency with it. Now, in the time we have remaining, I want to... I thought I would get to that point right there this morning, but clearly we did not. 
Let me, I want to come down there with you for a minute, okay? Let's, let's talk about what we've learned so far, okay? In John the 17th chapter, Jesus talked about those whom the Father had given to Him. And those whom the Father had given to Jesus, Jesus said they were His. Now, I'm not going to have time to get into all these verses tonight, but it wasn't just in the 17th chapter that Jesus began to talk about those whom the Father had given to Him. When you look at that, and as much as it's spoken of in John the 17th chapter, and then you go back into the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus used that reference um, in, in, in different places throughout the Gospel. In one place, and you'll be perhaps familiar with this passage, he was talking about the same thing when he said that there's a difference between those who are his sheep and those who are not of this or his sheepfold. And he said that one of the major differences was that those whom the Father had given to him were able to hear His voice. But those who were not His, that had not been given to Him, did not hear His voice, did not respond to what He was saying. As a matter of fact, it, 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 it didn't register with them. Now, and a lot of times we see this conversation was taking place and Jesus was referring to so many of the religious leaders who were opposed to Him, and in some, in some cases even violently opposed to Jesus. And these were the ones that Jesus would often refer to as not having been given to Him. Now, from an incomplete understanding of this, people have developed this idea that God has, has picked and chosen who was going to get to be with Jesus and who was not. And that's simply not the case. Because if you read the Bible carefully, what you will see is that those whom Father had given to Jesus were those who received the gift of Jesus given to the world by the Father. So I didn't say that well enough. Let me, let me, let me try to say it a little better, okay? What we see in the very first chapter of John is that Jesus was given to... John 3, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Isaiah 53 talks about uh, unto us a son, is, a, a son is born, unto us a child is given. I may have that backwards, but anyway. Jesus was given. John 1 says, He came to His own, His own received Him not, but as many as received Him... To them He gave the right and the might to become offspring of God, to become children, sons of God, who were born. Not of, not of the flesh, not of the will of flesh, not of blood, but were born of God. So the ones that have been given to Jesus on planet earth are simply the ones who receive the gift of Jesus. If you receive the gift of Jesus given... Father God will, through receiving that gift, 
enable you to be born a second time and will make you one with Jesus. You will become, you will be given to Jesus. And Jesus went on to say, those whom the Father has given to Him will not be plucked out of His hand. Will not be. He said, my Father is greater than I. Right? And He, in other words, He's saying, one greater than me gave these to me and no one is, is greater than God, so therefore no one is capable of removing them, separating this gift of these individuals to me. Okay? Now, our backdrop here is oneness. You were created by God to be one with God. You were created by God to have and enjoy the same fellowship with God the Father that Jesus enjoys and experiences with God the Father tonight. Now, if that sounds bizarre to you, we've been talking about that for months this year. And the Bible bears that out. That's not just me twisting some scripture or going to some obscure definition to try to make that fit. The Bible is very, very clear about that. Okay? It's astonishing to a lot of people. It's even unsettling for a lot of people to even hear as such. But again, that's why we begin tonight with Hebrews chapter 2. God is the one who sanctifies. We are the ones being sanctified by Him, and we're all of one and the same. And of course, John chapter 17 has much to say about this. Even God saying that we're in Jesus, we're one with Jesus, Jesus is one with the Father because we're one with Jesus, and Jesus is one with the Father. We're now one with the Father like Jesus, and now God refers to Himself and Jesus, the first disciples, all those who were born again um, because they preached the gospel, he refers to them as us. God says us. Usins and weans. Amen? All right, now. I know that we've, we've dug all the way down to like what I call origin, you know, Genesis, beginning, our existence, why are we here? And so we talked about that last Sunday morning talked about it some more today, that we're, we're here because God created us, and He created us with a purpose in mind, and that purpose was more than worship, it was more than service, it, it was more than obedience, um, it was oneness. He created us to make us one with Himself and to share Himself, all that He is and all that He has with us, so that we could be filled with all of His fullness. Amen. If you, want to, if you want to make Father happy, let Him fill you with what He's full of. Amen. That, that's, but see, that, can, that only comes through oneness. Okay? Now, I've been asked over the years, um, you know, different questions from the Bible, and, and some of them are harder to answer than others. One question that I've been consistently asked over the years is, why did God even put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden to begin with? In other words, why did He give Adam and Eve a choice? And of course, in creating Adam and Eve with the ability to choose and then giving them a choice, we know that He also created you and me with that same ability to choose and gave us a choice. But a simple way of looking at this would be, man, if God had just never put that tree there to begin with. Well, there's, we could spend two or three sermons on this subject. I'm not trying to do that tonight. 
One answer, and I, and I still stand by it, is that that tree became the tithe. Um, it was God saying, look, every tree in this garden is yours to enjoy, but that one, that one's mine, don't touch it. Okay. I also think, though, in the bigger picture, is, and so I want to give you two words again, okay, two words. This time, you know, earlier I gave you the word need and desire. God didn't create you to fulfill a need. He created you to fulfill a desire. Now I want to give you two other words, and those words are creation and redemption. Creation and redemption, okay? None of us chose to be created. I know that may sound like you know, a silly statement to make. Obviously, we didn't. But that's the reality of it. None of us chose to be created. This was something that God chose for us. Amen. There's things that we'll talk about in greater detail in the future, but the Bible makes it very clear. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. He chose you. If He hadn't chose you, you would never be breathing air. Amen. But Him choosing you by default, or is that you being created is obviously God making a choice for your existence. But that was not enough for him. In other words, there was a choice made by God to create you. And that virtue of your existence speaks of his desire for you. But that pales in comparison to the desire that he revealed for you through your redemption. Let me say it another way. It's one thing for God to create you. It's another thing for him to redeem you. To create you, he, he in essence spoke. You, he formed Adam, breathed into uh, the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, and in Adam were all of us in seed form. I said it this way before, God got his hands dirty when he created Adam, and it wouldn't be the last time he gets his hands dirty where you and I are concerned. If all we knew about God was that He created us, it'd be very hard for me to stand here tonight and tell you that He created you because He wanted you to be one with Him, and He created you to have fellowship with Him, and He created you not for utility but for affection. Right? But because we know that He created us, and now we also know that He demonstrated His love for us in that Jesus died for us as sinners, showing the love that He has for us just to give us the opportunity to choose Him. See, this communicates desire from God where we're concerned on a whole other level. So in essence, He chose you twice. He chose you and He created you. And you do know that He knew you before the foundation of the world. You may have been a surprise to your mom and daddy, but you were no surprise to God. 
The Bible says He knew you before the foundations of the world. Jesus had already agreed to be the, the Lamb of sacrifice for your sins before Adam was ever created. He was the Lamb slain from before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. He had already given you purpose and grace, eternal purpose, eternal grace, the Bible says. Again, we can look up all these verses. I'm just trying to give you a, an overview here. So He chose you at creation, and then He chose you again at redemption. All that Jesus did so that we could be given the opportunity to be made one with Father, to be restored back into right standing and right relationship, righteousness, reconciliation. Right standing is righteousness, reconciliation is right relationship with our Heavenly Father. But redemption provides one more important piece to the oneness equation. And that is redemption now gives us the choice. In other words, we didn't choose to be created, but we do choose to either say yes to Jesus or to say no to Him. We didn't choose to be created, but we do choose whether or not we're going to enter into relationship and oneness with Him. Creation communicates God's desire for us, but redemption communicates the depth of His desire. We had no choice when it came to our creation. Redemption, on the other hand, provides us with a choice that we never had to become one with God. Being created by Him only signifies Him choosing you. Receiving Him as your Redeemer, not just recognizing Him as your Creator, is your opportunity to choose Him, to choose to be His. Our response to Him as Creator and our response to Him as Redeemer communicates our desire for Him or lack of it. Let me say that another way. Father has clearly communicated His desires and expectations for us. Now it's our turn. Are we going to receive the gift that He's given to us and be made one with Jesus? Or are we going to choose to live as we please? All right. There's one more section that we'll get into next week, but let me, let me just introduce it tonight. I want to leave you with this thought, okay? We're eventually, we're making our way back to John 17. We're going to camp out there for a little while longer and other places in the, in the book of John in our study. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus split time in half. In other words, the calendar counted up to His birth and then started over once He arrived. B.C. stands for before Christ. 
Anno Domini does not stand for after death. Anno Domini is Latin for in the year of our Lord. So this is 2018, the year of our Lord. Now, you may not believe that He is the eternal, only begotten Son of God, but any fool that says there was nobody named Jesus hasn't really thought much about it because, again, history absolutely records that there was a man named Jesus born in, a, in, in Bethlehem from a city of Nazareth in Galilee, and, um, and our calendars counted up to the time he was born and started over, right? You follow what I'm saying? Amen. All right, so he split time in half, but time is not the only thing he came to divide. So many things shifted when Jesus showed up here. And really what we see once He arrived is, is what I'm calling the final push for life on this earth as we know it now. Everything led up to His birth. And the Bible says this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law. Jesus came to separate sheep from goats. Amen. It's a hard thing. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Because we see the prophet said he would be the Prince of Peace, and yet Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. You think, well, wait a second. Is the Bible contradicting itself here? No, not at all. But when he speaks of bringing division or bringing a sword, Jesus is not just the most famous person in history. He is the most polarizing. He is the most polarizing. You're either for him or you're against him. And when the singer-songwriter said, Jesus is just all right with me, he didn't know what he was talking about. You cannot have that kind of attitude towards Jesus. You're either in or out. You're either for him or against him. Jesus said, if you're not for me, if you're not pulling with me, then you're opposed to me. No middle ground. No middle ground. Why is that? Because when Father God gave Him to this planet, He gave Him to mark not just the beginning of the end, but also a new beginning. Not just the kingdom, not just grace. But it will literally be the determining factor for all of eternity. Jesus said it this way, Who do you say that I am? See, how we answer that question, how every human being answers that question right there is the difference between life and death, right? You follow what I'm saying? I maybe went too far into this tonight, but I'm just, I'm just trying to show you that when Jesus came here, He came to, to be this determining factor. Either He said, you'll either build your life on me as the chief cornerstone, or you'll stumble over me and the rock that I am will grind you to powder. No in-between. 
no in between. Aren't you glad that we've chosen him tonight? Amen. Amen. And with me, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You get anything out of this tonight? Amen. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your great desire for us and for demonstrating your desire for us in the tremendous personal price that you paid to offer us redemption, to offer us the opportunity to choose oneness with you once again. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, Father, for the great love that you have for, the, for us as individuals. Father, the great love you have for us as the families that we represent and for the great love you have for us as a, as a family of faith. Father, may our oneness with you bring unity and harmony and oneness amongst us like we've never experienced or enjoyed before or even knew was possible. Fathers, we go our separate ways. May we let our light so shine before me in this week that they see our good works and glorify you in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Have a great, blessed week. We'll see you Wednesday, if not before.